I haven't done an interview in three months. Wow. Yeah, I just like gave myself a break. I I mean, it makes sense, like especially with everything that's going on right now. Like, mm-hmm. how do you say your last name? Ribeiro. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was just making sure because I didn't want to like Ribeiro. You're good. That happens all the time. Ribeiro happens constantly. Yeah. Um, but my actual favorite mispronunciation or misspelling was at my last job, my last institution, I had to get cable and internet on my own, like no option. Like I had no option. I had to get internet and cable and, or internet. And I got cable also. And Spectrum is the service out here, mm-hmm. which is whatever. And when I canceled it, they sent me a cancellation notice. Um, and it said Ryun Roberto, R Y U N R E B O R T O, and it was yeah. the funniest thing ever. And it's my—it's actually my Wi-Fi password right now, which is pretty exciting. A misspelling but, of your name? Yeah, that's um, that's what my uh, Twitter and Instagram name comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's that one. Is that one is the basic one, and then I got Google Mesh. Mm-hmm. Um, because my apartment's really long, so my one Wi-Fi route or won't reach the whole apartment. So my mesh one is, um, the name of the account is Carly Ray Jepsen, and then the password is Emotion is a five star album, which nice. we've talked, talked about a bunch. But love it. Now everyone knows your passwords. That's right. Welcome back to the EduPunks podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. We took a little bit of a break during the quarantine, but we're back. We're ready to do some more interviews with folks in the education world and the punk world at large. Yeah, should be some fun. Today, I'm chatting with my friend Ryan Ribeiro. Uh, he is a conduct worker at the university or at the university at Union College in New York. Uh, he and I have a uh, been friends for a few years now one of my favorite people to just talk to and catch up with just such a loving uh wonderful human being so i'm really excited to share a very lengthy conversation with ryan uh this is our longest episode ever i think with just one person we've had longer with the uh the album countdowns but this is a long one with just me and ryan but that's what happens when you get us started we're just gonna keep going uh, this week, you also get to hear tunes from the new Katie Malco album, which just came out a couple uh, about a month ago uh, from 6131 Records, our friends over at 6131. Joey was kind enough to drop me off a record uh, a couple weeks ago when we swapped puzzles, uh, which has been something that me and Katie and a bunch of other friends have been doing. We've just been swapping puzzles and doing puzzles. That's our new quarantine life. That's what we're doing with our quarantine time. 
But you get to hear more tunes from Katie Malko. Her album is called Failures. Uh, recently came out through 6131. Uh, you just heard a little bit from the song Creatures. You'll hear a little bit of the song Fractures in a minute. And then later, I'll share you the entire song of Animal. But before we get to all that, I want to also share that we are part, part of the Connect EDU network. Go to connectedu.network to learn more about all of the great podcasts, educational opportunities, and people doing great work in the education realm uh, right now. So I'm very excited to get to this conversation with Ryan. Let's get it going. Here we are with Ryan Rivera. Uh, so I'm sitting with my friend Ryan. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I'm good. You know, just hanging out, doing what I got to do. It's a Thursday. A Thursday in the pandemic. It could That's right. easily be a Monday. It could easily be a Saturday. I There was a point in time where I think I didn't know what day of the week it was, and I was mm-hmm. starting to panic because, like, I was just – everything was bleeding together, and I was just like, this is a nightmare. Well, I have a friend who kind of just posts the reminder of what day it is every every day, just so that That's people, hilarious. people just know today is Wednesday. Today is just Thursday. In case you forgot, it reminds me of Luke Harper's Twitter account. <laughs> you know what that means? It's Wednesday. You know what that means? <laughs> Friggin' ridiculous. Have we ever found out what it meant? I think he <laughs> the last tweet he sent was like, "Now you know what it means," and then he was gone. <laughs> That's awesome. And then he joined AEW. <laughs> that's amazing. That's such a good troll job. Speaking of wrestling, I think that's how you and I got connected, right? Yeah. Student uh, Affairs Click? The Click, yeah. Because I remember it was like a Facebook group that you promoted on the Student Affairs Professional page, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I joined then, and that's how I met you. That's how I met Dave, Ramon, a bunch of people. Yeah. So it was exciting. Um, cause I, I, at that point I had just been getting back into wrestling at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like, I think this was like right before Seth Rollins cashed in at WrestleMania. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, it's exciting. Wrestling's exciting again. And then I just met you and that, that's how that's kicked off the illustrious friendship we have now. Yeah. The star studded friendship. That's right. So tell people a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, so I am the director of community standards at Union College. It's a small private um, liberal liberal arts institution with like an engineering track in upstate New York in Schenectady. One of my favorite words to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been there. This is my f- sixth year. Um, actually, wow, that's wild um, to think of. It. it was like a week ago. Uh, my anniversary. <laughs> um, but uh, for the past five years, I've been a residence director here, and I've been a residence director in some capacity for the last 10 years. Uh, I So I am what you would call a res lifer, but I'm, I don't know if I'm that anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, I think really what I am is, and what we'll probably talk about a lot today, is the punk stuff. Is, is mm-hmm. I'm just a, I'm a older punk i'm learning this because my body i can feel everything um <laughs> oh i know how that feels like this the last like three months i've just felt like everything and i'm like oh this mm-hmm. is a nightmare um but i do a little of everything um oh that's my dog uh i have a dog 
mm-hmm. who I love very much. And I really, I think really what, if, if something were to encapsulate anything, it's I like to do stuff on my own. I'm a person who likes to do stuff, DIY, crowdsource stuff in every way. And I don't have like a narrow passion for anything. Like I think music and movies are one of are certain things that I certainly have a passion for, but if I'm trying to learn something, I'm going to learn it and I'm going to mm-hmm. try and find out about it. And that probably included higher ed at the time when I was first learning about it or learning what it was. Um, so like if you how were, did you, how did you learn about it? How did it come to you? Cause I feel like I talked to a lot of different people who go into higher ed and they didn't even know like working in higher ed was an option because yeah. I did it when I was going through college. Same. No idea. I went originally to be an English teacher. Same. Um, yeah, <laughs> I went to be an English teacher, and then I took my first intro to intro to secondary ed class, and I was like, "This is not for me." <laughs> I remember going, and I'm like, "Oh, you mean this isn't like uh, Charlie Bartlett, where I get to talk about like our, or whatever high school movie that we watched when we were kids, and it's like mm-hmm. we had a cool teacher who talked to us about whatever." Um, I learned that it was way more regimented than that, and that didn't really vibe with me. Although I don't, that's not, that's less of like a principle and more of just frustration and stubbornness. I don't, I don't like, I think people use that as like an idealization of individuality. I, for me, it's just, I, I generally bristle at the idea of someone telling me that I got to do something in a certain way. Yeah. Um, That's kind of what I struggled with when I was teaching for a couple of years because it was, I taught in a very, um, closed-minded school district in the woods of, uh, of, 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 of Oregon. And mm-hmm. so like a bunch of loggers, kids, a bunch of kids who felt very unseen, especially mm-hmm. the like queer kids that were afraid to come out and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so it was a very difficult space to be in. Mm-hmm. And so the folks that I was like working with, they were doing their best, but the people who were like making the decisions. I was like, I don't feel good about these decisions and I don't think this is good for me. So I peace out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was the one class and I was out um, and I focused entirely on writing. So I was way more devoted to writing and I still am. I'm still doing writing on the side. If I can just keeping up with like diaring and journaling, dire, Diary, whatever, journaling. Um, and diary-ing. diary-ing. Di- ring a diary. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of what happened. And I was in a fraternity, which I liked at the time. And within a year, I was like, this is already, I hate this. <laughs> I like, I, I'm still really good friends with some of my people who are there, but I just, Again, it's sort of the, I don't like it when someone tells me what I got to do in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in the way that you're a 19, 20 year old and you're just trying to figure out what you want to do, you kind of, everything is oppressive or whatever. Yeah. Um, Where did you so go to college? I went to Bridgewater State. In That's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so I became an RA, actually, through a, a fraternity brother who was graduating, recommended me to do it. And uh, there were a bunch of people at the time that were from the Greek life. And as you, as you probably can understand, a lot of schools, the Greek life is also like a bubble of influence mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah. So if you happen to have some association with this, you can also get into this, which is mm-hmm. 
an indicator, I think, for some of the things that was frustrating about student affairs now. Like, you kind of needed them in to get somewhere. Yeah. Um, and when I was in, when I was an RA, uh, I think I think as is the case with most people, they find out that oh, someone went to college to become more res lifey or become more student affairsy, and I was desperate for anything that wouldn't look like I was staying at my parents' house. I was living whatever a contemporary life would have been for a recent graduate, especially like coming out of the recession, mm-hmm. which I've been reflecting on way more lately about um, because I, I, I feel a, sense. Well, I feel like a certain kinship with people who are graduating now. And it's like, wow, you're graduating in the middle of a nightmare. And I was like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yep. Um, so then I, I, my, the associate director of resident at the time, Shelly Kingston, K- Kennison, I'm, I'm, I hate that I'm forgetting her name. Uh, but she was an IUP, Indiana University of Pennsylvania graduate in the student affairs higher education system. Uh, and they boasted 99% job placement rate. And being a son of an immigrant <laughs> who was trying to convince his dad that this is a good, viable career output option, uh, I pointed to that and I was like, I'll get a job, no problem. Um, and then I upped and moved on a whim in July of 2010 to Pittsburgh, which I have carried a torch for ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think as with most people who are in student affairs, they kind of fell into it. I would say that I'm less of a person who like fell in love with it and more was a person who, it was an option for a job mm-hmm. in a time where there was nothing. Like there really was nothing. I mean, if you remember like, is, if you graduated from anything that wasn't like a biomedical or like maybe even criminal justice at the time, you couldn't find a gig. So I was desperate for anything. Grad school was there. I had it paid for because of my job. Um, I worked at Point Park University, which is a dance school, which was super cool. Yeah. I, I had never had any experience working with, in a place like that. And it was awesome. I met one of my best friends, uh, my friend Conrad, who's still living in Pittsburgh now. Um, and I was there for two years, came back here and it took a little bit of time, but I ended up finding a job. And then I came out here to New York, uh, with a pharmacy school in Albany and now I'm at Union. So I've hopped around a little bit. I've done a lot of, a little bit of everything in the res life area, but I've done a lot with content. Um, and I think originally I was devoted towards like diversity and inclusion work. Um, yeah specifically like allied development. And then I realized that, and this might be something that I think we can explore further if you're interested. Um, But uh, for me, I found that my skills or whatever you want to call them were better utilized in an area where I could affect substantial systematic change. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine at a PWI, at a school that's private liberal arts, it's expensive. It's an expensive school. Um, there are considerations being made about how we police our students. Um, And I'm less interested in punishment. I'm less interested in sanctioning. I'm less interested in all of that because I'm more convinced that compassionate, intentional prevention education works way more than just telling people that they're bad or telling Mm -hmm. people that they did something wrong. Um, I mean, you see it with like public health, right? Like, you could do it all. You can do whatever you want for treatment. You can do whatever you want for you. Like you jail somebody for being an addict. What's that going to do? 
Yeah. Um, so Nothing. I was thinking about different ways in which I could do that work. And that's how I shifted into conduct. Um, actually, we changed our office name last year to Community Standards because I wanted to reflect that uh, name-wise. It's interesting because uh, coming from a, such a punk background, being the guy to enforce the rules, it's very interesting to me. <laughs> it is a uh, it is a paradoxical uh, thing, and it's it's definitely. I think when I first went into student affairs in general, I had a big identity crisis because I was such a big person that was like, my identity is everything. the The way people know me is the only way I want to be known. Like I want to be known as by my nickname. I want to be known as this person who's exuberant and exciting. And is this going to change me? Um, And I think it's safe to say that it has, but it's not because of the field. It's because of the people I was working with and the students I was working with. Um, I've learned more in the work and with my interpersonal relationships than I ever did in the classroom. There there were things in the classroom that I definitely Mm -hmm. uh, valued. But as I grew older, and especially in the, in, I was actually, I was thinking about this today too. Um, I think punk in its truest form is a community. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a place where um, people don't have a lot of time for division. Like you see it now with gatekeeping. You see it now when anyone says anything about gatekeeping, they're mm-hmm. immediately like, stop. Stop. Yeah. I'm not interested mm-hmm. in that. Um, and I feel as though we're in this world now, especially in education, where we're all about collaborative solutions. And if you're siloing yourself or if you're if you think there's only one way to solve a problem, then you're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's maybe paradoxical for a, an anti-establishment person who bristles at authority to be in in enforcement or accountability but I also think that punk is also a restorative genre. It's yeah, a there's genre. a lot of there's a lot of community standards within the scene and within exactly. uh, the the realm as, as well. So it makes sense too. Yeah, like I think I think that there's there are people. I think there are there's going to be shitty people in punk. I think in mm-hmm. general. Oh, they're totally uh, t- tons um, <laughs> historically <laughs> yeah. not a good look all the time, <laughs> but. I mean, like, I think that the legacy of punk, you can always point to calling out bullshit, mm-hmm. calling out injustices in the world, <clears throat> yep. and trying to find partnerships and relationships to correct those issues and do all that they can to eliminate them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like you look at the historical nature of punk. You start, or you even think about like subcultures, like mod subculture and and sharps. Like mm-hmm. it, skinheads originally started as an anti-racist movement, and it got co-opted in some capacity. Yeah. Not by I don't think anybody in there, but I think that that's the same way we with with education, right? The more people that you get to have a conversation about what are the systematic issues in education, the more that you're going to get people coming up with diverse solutions and more radical ideas that deserve attention. And because the things that we've been doing for a hundred years is just not working. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. That's a long answer. It's a long circular answer, but I think that's kind of where that's like my, if you were to boil it down to a philosophy, that's kind of where I'm at. No, I dig that a lot because when I, when I think about 
especially conduct and having a restorative or transformative approach to um, connecting with people who've done something wrong, quote unquote wrong, or against the community standard or um, against the student code of conduct, um, or just someone in the scene who's done something that's like a little seedy or not cool. The, the whole idea around um, helping that person learn and grow is more important, more important than shattering their world and making them not have any sort of future. Unless it's like something that like is irreversible. Like I mean, it's there, a scale there, of harm, there, right? there are scales of harm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we were talking, uh, we've, Katie and I have had plenty of conversations about cancel culture and how hard that can be, especially in certain scenes to just like completely shut someone off or shut someone out from, um, an entire community when in reality you should be educating those people if they have the desire to learn. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the desire to learn, if you don't have the like, um, there's like a sincerity there, then I don't have time. Like, I don't have time for that. Like I want people who want to grow and learn to be the people that we keep like active and a part Mm -hmm. of our lives in those moments. And I feel like that's kind of the mentality we have to have with our students all the time. And I imagine you feel something similar to that. 100%. I, I, I had a similar conversation as well about, um, like a specific example in culture, like Liam Neeson, right? Liam Neeson faced backlash because he confessed in an interview that he had heard a story in the news or something about how uh, black youth had committed some crime or something. Um, and whether or not it was true or not is, is immaterial. It, it, he was sharing the story because as a youth, he was angry. Um, and he was upset and he was living in Ireland and he was, uh, he took it upon himself to like troll the neighborhood with a club with the intention of murdering those people, the people mm-hmm. who were accused of crimes. And the reason why he confessed that was because he was using it as a, as an example of a time in which as a misinformed Mismotivated or an unjustly motivated person with hate in his heart mm-hmm. went to go commit a hate crime, yeah. And then, thank God, he never succeeded it. But then he reflected back in that moment and was like, "That is messed up. That is inappropriate. That's unbelievable that I did that." And to the people who have those thoughts, sometimes, how do you reconcile that with what's acceptable and appropriate? And I have friends who still cancel it. Like, and that's their right. You know I mean? They, you, t- you, you have a threshold about what you can stand with somebody. And I have my own threshold about what I can take from some people. Like, sorry, power bottom is going to be off my list for a little bit. I don't yeah. know what, I don't know what they have to do to get back in good graces, but I just can't. And yeah. that's my own thing. But I use it as an example because that's a person who through I don't even know what his motivation was to share that story outside of maybe he wanted to share it, but like, isn't that exactly what you want? You want someone to be able to say the shit that I was doing before is awful Mm -hmm. and I was wrong and here's why I was wrong. And I want to make sure that that doesn't happen for other people. Again, I, that's 100%. I think the, the strange fence that we're sitting on right now, because 
I think about what I was when I was 18 years old. I don't necessarily want to put myself as a problematic person, but like in high school, I read, I read I, in high school, I've said this to a bunch of people in high school. I was a young conservative mm-hmm. and I was, I was the, I, uh, by the grace of God, I could have been Charlie Kirk. Right. Yeah, I could, yeah. I, like literally I look at Charlie Kirk and I'm like, wow, you Stops and I, the bullet there. <laughs> you, and I, you and I were the same person. Um, back when, and he just never had, never changed. Yeah. Um, and I actually look at him as a person who like, maybe it would have been nice for you to continue college because that's where I learned all my stuff. That's where I learned all the people. That's where I, that's where I got, I got challenged. I got told and put in my place a little bit and think, think everything for the people who were patient with me on my path towards learning, whatever it was. But that's that's kind of why I'm still here, right? It's, I, I, I see a fundamental thing that happens at college that doesn't necessarily happen elsewhere. It's a, it's a replication of an environment that is untenable in the quote-unquote real world. Mm-hmm. We have these um, areas and these, these venues for dialogue that gets heated, and rightfully so. Um, that just doesn't happen in the real world. You, you're able to retreat and go into your kind of recluse and not have to worry about other. And I say that mostly as it's a tool of survival and it's a tool of oppression. Like you, people retreat because they're wounded. Like, uh, and I think that that's so easy to do that. But when you're wounded, is when you need to be cared for. And that can't really happen unless somebody reaches out and tries to help you a little bit. So I think yeah. of it in that, I think of it in that sense. Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's where I'm at. No, I, I get what you're saying because there, there are so many times when there's someone that kind of just needs that helping hand when they're like mm-hmm. hurt and or when they're feeling like because I've known some folks to like get quote unquote canceled or whatever and they're like I don't know what to do like what do I do to actually get back into like mm-hmm. our community again and it's there's a desire for education there is a desire for um like genuinely getting and asking for help because I feel like there's the other side of the coin where it's stubbornness. It's um, not actively, not actively trying to unlearn old behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there's, there's another kind of gray area one with the guy from Pine Grove who came out yeah. and shared what he shared, what he shared. And I'm like, why did you even need to, Mm-hmm. say something like like when, when when he shared it we we're like i feel like there was a collective yeah but why like why did yeah. you need to come forward with this like i get mm-hmm. to a degree where he's coming from but also there's a like a whole like earth shattering part of like there's a lot you could be doing to better yourself and not really have to like say something like this Mm-hmm. Um, like that makes sense. Um, yeah. and, then, I, I, and then eventually he was allowed back in. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I had, a, I had such a similar reaction to that. 
But then there was a part of my brain that was like, good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you outed yourself as a yeah. person who's done stuff like this because think about all the other people who will never do that. Yeah, exactly. And there's going to be millions of people or whatever that have been affected and harmed by these individuals mm-hmm. and are never going to speak out because, I mean, one, there's no entitlement that they should. Yeah. But but at the same like, I, I, there's, there's like a twisted logic to it where I'm like, I imagine that Evan, I think his name's Evan, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine Evan was like, I can't hold it within my body. Like there is, there is, um, relief in confession. Mm-hmm. Like I, we both grew up in religious households, right? Yeah. Like, is, am, I, am I imagining Very that? Much. No. Okay. And there's a part of religiosity that I admire and it's the idea of the community. Right. And part of that includes confession. Like I, I growing up Roman Catholic, there's a lot of shame involved in that, but in places where it's positive, it can be a nice, it can be a very rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. And um, there is joy and relief and a kind of an easing of the burden when you confess to something. But at the same time, it's like, that's a selfish act to, to, to unload something mm-hmm. is selfish. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like, what was his, what was his objective for that? Was it yeah. to be, was it to be praised for being a person who was reformed or whatever? Was it self-flagellation and looking for the attention that comes with confessing something like that? Or was it legitimately like, I just, I know that I've done something wrong and I want to, get out in front of it and be like conscious of what I've done and ask for forgiveness. I don't know. I, and I, I imagine that that's something that's the, one of the reasons that's one of the things that Evan had been doing is grappling with that over the last few years. But I think I went to a, I went to a show of his at Irving Plaza with pedal mm-hmm. um, like a month before he <laughs> said that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh Yeah. It's it's interesting because I, I thought about that in a lot of different ways. It's like there are going to be moments during this coming fall because of the election mm-hmm. where someone's going to say some stupid shit. Mm-hmm. And whether they've meant it to be trolling the libs, bro, or whatever it is that they're doing, or if they're genuinely expressing their feelings, someone's going to smack them in the mouth. Like either – either verbally or literally physically smack them in the mouth. Yeah. And what do you do then? How do you navigate that? And I, that, I, I say that as a person who it will be my job to do that, <laughs> but and it's one of the reasons why my summer is so busy. But um, I think na- having an air, having an opportunity and a process in place, at least in my opinion, having a process in place where you can navigate those difficult conversations is as important as saying that that was wrong because anyone can say anything's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like it, unless, unless you I, I, like, and I, and I also say this as a person who over the last couple months has, on Twitter has just become increasingly vitriolic. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like pointing out stuff being awful is again, like confession gratifying. Mm hmm. But that's an exercise in futility, and I think that, that there's more meaningful stuff that, that you can do 
Well, and then self self gratification self gratification is also a selfish act. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so all of this, all of this like edifying that we do is just so. That's true. One hundred percent. On it unhealthy and unhelpful ryan <laughs> well that's how we're supposed to feel um yeah. but we're doing fine was a little bit of fractures by katie malco her new album called failures is out on 6131 records you'll hear another bit of a song coming up but first here's more with me and ryan ribeiro to bring it back to the punk stuff uh i think what's really helped me in the last couple years has been finding a community with which to retreat into to go back to retreating a little bit but Mm -hmm. also i've been able to exercise my skills or my, well, I've been able to do more than I want to do in a community. And that's what fest has been for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like really the only vacation I take every year. And I go to Florida and I hang out for six days, three days of shows and just a bunch of other days with a bunch of punks from all over the world who I don't know. Most of them I don't, I know a couple people. But for the most part, it's completely, I'm just throwing myself into an environment where I don't know a lot of people. And it's like, it's, I've compared it to like shedding a skin. Mm. Like I've built up all of this stuff, all this stress and all of this whatever for a year. And then for one weekend, the Halloween weekend of October, I get to just go to Florida and not think about anything else but music yeah. and 
hanging out with people and, and being a part of a scene, which I think is so easy to remove yourself from, regardless of whether it's punk or not. It's so easy to isolate yourself, especially now in the COVID stuff. Like I, I, the amount of students that have told me that they're lonely mm-hmm. breaks my heart. Just yeah. breaks my heart. It just, we it just really did does. a little survey of our students on Instagram, and a bunch of them are feeling pretty low. And 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 that's not even to say that like people who are around a ton of people don't feel lonely. It happens all the time. Yeah, I'm sure it happens with us too. But like, you know, these were some of the sad, some of the most loneliest people. <laughs> I was. This is an aside. I was Sagittarius my, ENFPs, no doubt. No I was telling, I was telling my girlfriend about this. <laughs> Literally the other day, and she was like, "Oh, Craig, you've told me about him," and I was like, "Yeah, he's an ENFP, also Saggy. It's gonna be something else." <laughs> <laughs> um, <and laughs> literally, Katie has left the room when we've been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Katie's like, no. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, so I was missing that from like. 2010 when I graduated undergrad and when I came to union and I started to be able to be in an environment where I was able to be more myself. Um, I was able to be more authentically the person that I wanted to be. I was able to share parts of myself without fear of um, ostracization. Ah, that's why am I saying that exclusion? There you go. <laughs> exclusion. Um, and people, while they may, you know, you have people who rib you or whatever, they mm-hmm. you know, confess stuff and, and people will tell you certain things. No one ever made me feel shame for being a punk, for being what is perceived as uh, infantile or juvenile. And I'm very lucky for that because mm-hmm. I've been in so many other places where you, you chalk it up to being weird and then that's it and then no one talks to you. Or even worse, you hide those elements of yourself and you become a whole other person. Oh, don't get me started. Like, <laughs> like, I would convince myself that I liked certain things that I was doing or whatever. Good, bro? Sorry, my dog is just, like, deciding to be whatever. Um, it was, it, it, I was convincing myself that I was like, oh, I love wearing a tie to work which is such a small thing in general, but like I would convince myself that, Oh, I love this or that about myself. And it wasn't true. Um, that, that came with things that I was doing and things that I wasn't doing. I let, I like, I, I propped myself up as a person who didn't need to rely on therapy Hmm. for a long time. And then it got bad and I had to go to therapy and I hid that from my work for a while. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody about it. The minute I told somebody about it, they reported me to, to HR. Oh my God. Like the minute I told somebody, they were like, Oh, he's going to kill himself. And I was like, that's not what this is. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I just having weird dreams, bro. I don't know what you want. Um, and luckily I ended up having a, a person who I still see now to this day. Um, but then I went to another job and I was able to find a, an area that while they might not have been the exactly the community that maybe I like being a part of all the time, mm-hmm. like not everybody I work with is super into Jeff Rosenstock or 
<laughs> like they're not all into the hotelier. Like they're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but they are excited that I like stuff. They're excited that I'm passionate in my own way in the same way that we kind of feel that way about students, mm-hmm. like how excited students are about the things that they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, being able to f- go out and have the opportunity to find a community of my own has been rejuvenating. Yeah. I feel better now as a 31 year old than I did when I was 24. Mm. I like, I may feel a little bit more of the aging and all that stuff. And I, you know, I'm doing these a little slower than I used to and all that stuff, but I'm happier now than I was at 24 than I was at 25. I was yeah. miserable when I was 24 and 25. I didn't know anything. Oh yeah. I was miserable. It felt like I look back at pictures and I'm just like, I don't know who that person was anymore. Nope. It's weird. I, I, it's weird I to thought be I had a community. 30s is weird, man. 30s is weird. I legit thought I had it all. I thought that what I was doing was what I was supposed to be doing. Hmm. I thought that replicating what I interpreted or what I was taught was success was specifically the way to be successful. Mm-hmm. When I think anyone would really tell you, like, no one knows what the hell they're doing. No. No one knows. No one knows what they're doing until maybe 30. I, I would say literally no one knows. Yeah. Literally yeah. nobody ever knows Period. because you look at where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Who the hell knows? Nobody knows. I think people are, satis- I think people are satisfied mm-hmm. in certain areas. Like I think people kind of reach a certain point and they're like, oh, I could coast here. Yeah. Like I, I know enough. And this is where I'll stay. Life is all about plateauing. Yeah, it really, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really good way to put it. It's, a, it's all about peaks and valleys, right? Yeah. Peaks and valleys. <laughs> Yo, I said a PR today. I didn't cry. Oh, good. It's been, a couple, days, it's been a couple days for me. I'm pretty happy with that. Um. But, but um, so you've, you've, you've developed this community. Fest is great for you. It's a good release. I know mm-hmm. that this year is going to look a little bit different. But um, when it comes to, like, how these things overlap into your work, we, we touched on it a little bit in the previous mm-hmm. segment. But, like, how do you feel, like, your punk attitudes, men- mentality, identity cross over into the work that you do with students in general or even with your colleagues? Yeah. Um. I mean, there's a lot of different facets, I think. I think a lot of it, like, if you go surface level, right, it's the ability to have conversations with people who you might not share necessarily an interest. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I love punk, even though I love fest, and I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing about, we ever talk about. It's true. I don't, I, whenever I see Craig, I don't talk about anything else but Lucy's. You don't even know what Lucy's is. <laughs> It's it's Fest and American Pie 2. That's, That's right. That's all we've ever talked about. That's not entirely untrue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, I think what has happened from my ability to look at punk, and I think part of it is the history of punk. I think, again, talking about like the communal nature of punk, the collaboration of punk, the DIY nature of punk, being able to reach across different people and, and, and bring them in 
and being able to work together or find ways to not only make the art, but also achieve other extended goals. That's been like a real fundamental learning opportunity for me. I've been able to work with a number of different people in a number of different ways, even if I don't have anything in common with them, mm-hmm. I will find something. Yeah. I will find something and we can build it from there. That's just how I make relationships. And part of that is starts from the joy of being able to share in a thing you like initially, right? Like you and I met when we, you and I met first talking about wrestling. Mm-hmm. How often do we talk about wrestling now? Almost not at all. Almost not at all. Like, we, made, we made a Luke Harper reference when we first got on the call, and that was about it. And that was about it. Um, I think that, like, you build from the initial yeah. connection, and then you go yeah. from there. So I think uh, on surface value, that's how you make those initial relationships. And then from there, it was all about learning the history of punk. Yeah. It was all about learning the socioeconomic structure of punk, the, the, the ability to – the racial history of punk learning about how those fundamental relationships were put together through the filter of art to exercise a larger goal, whether it was uh, working class solidarity in England, whether it was, you know, racial um, uh, intersectionality in uh, Southern California in the nineties um, whether it's the generation of hip hop and hardcore music in New York, like those things all are messy, but in that mess is art in that mess is creation in that mess is progress. And things that I've learned from that have been that my career or what I've been able to do has built, been built fundamentally on relationship building. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have been able to learn that, especially with the diverse people that I work with, whether they're staff, faculty, students, alumni, whomever, they're coming from different wavelengths from wherever plateaus that they're at. Yeah. And I'm the person that's being asked to uphold a certain ideal, but it's also, I'm asking the people who are being a part of this community, what ideal are you interested in? Mm-hmm are you interested in this? Because if not, then what are you interested in and how can you contribute? Mm -hmm. What are we doing together to do this? Like for me, if I'm asking people to police students and their behavior, then am I just another cog in whatever wheel of oppression or am I just another systematic contributor to or towards inequality and inequity. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like, a good question. <laughs> so, but like, but if you look at the most enduring movements of the last 20 years, Occupy Wall Street is maybe not still the cultural touchstone that it was in 2011, mm-hmm. but it's a name and it's an ideology that's still pervasive. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter is intrinsically an organization that has no definitive leadership. Yeah. It has a create has a series of creators, and they do work across across cities and across countries at this point. Mm-hmm. And 
and the and intertwined within all those other things are different issues. You know, look at Portland. Yep. That's a great example. It's mm-hmm. it's it's mutated in some way, in a good way. I'm not saying I'm saying I'm not saying mutated in like a Chernobyl sense. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like it's it's moved from being against police brutality towards federal agent occupation and police occupation of a, of a, of a community. Um, if you look in upstate New York, a lot of the conversations here around Black Lives Matter are around imprisonment mm-hmm. in jails and the prison industrial complex. Those issues are intertwined because they've always been, and to ignore it would be to kind of be fighting against the overarching purpose of those movements. Mm-hmm. I think that those ideals are not solely on those large scale issues. It's also on those small scale ones. It's also on the, like, can a person of color get admitted to a party? A fraternity party that's predominantly white. Um, Does the predominantly white fraternity have a right to say, I don't know you, you can't come in. Does the person who's not being let in, is he justified in, I don't know, having an argument? Like, I think that those, while it seems simplistic in the larger scope of what we're dealing with right now, we have 18, 19-year-olds who probably have never been dealing with this in their life, ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if no one is here to rubricize or to navigate and guide those things, then we're just going to be bashing heads outside in the real world forever. That's that's that was the allure of education for me in the first place. Yeah, taking away his toy because he's squeaking it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The, I think that that's there's so much of what you were just saying that completely overlaps with the history of punk and overlaps with the history of higher education as well, and like especially how there have been so many standards and so many. expectations within the realm of education that have only been shattered within the last 60 years Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. and so like it's very recent history that even some of the students we have in our colleges today are even allowed to go to those colleges today and so the fact that some of them haven't really had the opportunity or the the need to think about things even that much more critically it's a it kind of harkens to how important our work really is. Mm. Um, And I think especially coming from our types of backgrounds where um, folks who felt a little bit on the outside, who had different energies than other people that were probably a little bit ostracized. Like we under, there's a little bit of an understanding. There's an identity there. And so like trying to look out for the other, and trying mm-hmm. to look out for the people who might not have had or felt like they had a voice uh, before and giving them a voice and uplifting that voice and kind of stepping out of the way once mm-hmm. you've kind of like done the education and then just watching them grow and flourish. and Or make mistakes. Stuff. Or make mistakes too, right. And then you educate from there as well. Mm-hmm. I th- look, if I didn't have I, – I, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily benefit – in the sense of like, I never went through a comic process when I was in college, mm. whether that was luck <laughs> or whether that was, I was, I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't know what the necessarily the reason was that I never got in trouble. 
Um, oh, I got but, fired as an RA. Like, but straight you know, up. But like, but like, 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 straight up. Like, I, I had to learn a hard lesson. Like, and it was right after I got elected as student body president. Like, it was, yeah. So I won this election very publicly, and then I was fired from my job. And they were like, you're going to have this new role. You need to learn right now. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I had almost the, the opposite. Okay. My, my learning wasn't public. My, my learning was in private. Mm-hmm. When I went to grad school, and I hope Conrad, Conrad doesn't mind me talking about this, but I'm going to. Um, so I, I, in, in what was really just a mind-boggling idea, Point Park offered an apartment, a two-person apartment, to their two incoming grad assistants, grad, uh, graduate assistantships. Me and Conrad had never met before. We were unable to meet before I moved. I didn't have a cell phone, so I couldn't, like, call them first. I moved out here with my parents. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about Pittsburgh. I'd never been. And we were expected to live together, work together, go to classes together. Yeah. We had the same classes. We were, for all intents and purposes, a married couple. It was just like we were together all the time. And Conrad is a, an unbelievable introvert. And I, when I was 21, was more insufferable than I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> and I also was maybe not, I probably, I was probably in the stage of my political identity. I would probably have used the fortuitous phrase culturally liberal, fiscally conservative, which mm-hmm. is an insane principle and doesn't make any sense. But for our, for our more novice listeners to the political spectrum, learn more about that phrase and how it means nothing. But yep. um, so I, I brought that attitude to grad school. And I brought that attitude with me to my conversations with Conrad and Conrad to their, uh, I will always be thankful to Conrad for this. Conrad patiently and probably was very frustrated with me constantly was challenging me every step of the way. Whenever I said anything, whenever I shared an opinion or shared some kind of thought that I'd had, and I worked my thoughts out very publicly very openly. I'm just kind of a, mm-hmm. a bladder mouth. Yeah. And Conrad would just be like, that's wild. What you just said. And let me <laughs> tell you a little bit why that's wild. And there were times where I was frustrated and I didn't understand, but that also came from the immense level of privilege that I was bringing to that conversation. And if I didn't have that person's patience and I didn't have that person's knowledge, I would be, a, I would be a tremendously different person than I am today. And but I also had the benefit of a, 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 a outside-the-system person being able to navigate with me something. <laughs> I'm not so sure that that would have existed when I was in college. Who knows what would have happened? I never went through the comic process, so maybe it would have been great. Maybe it would have been terrible. I don't know. <laughs> but I hope what I want to do is I want to be able to at least create an opportunity that if you do go through this system, I am providing a replicate of some kind of – some kind of replication of that environment for that person. Whether it's through low level stuff, like an underage drink or whatever, 
to larger scale stuff where it's like, you can't say the N word, bro. Just mm. like, and, and explaining why and, mm. and talking about what that is, because that person who knows where they're coming from, they might understand as a high school graduate, the historical implications of that word, but they don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. They don't know. People older than us don't know. No. And, and, and to the same thing with the Confederate flag too. Like there's, there's these symbols, there's these words that the meaning is not attached to it. So I, I think, I think what I've kind of worked in my own head and maybe this is off base of me, but like something that really resonated with me was a while ago, four or five years ago, there was this dialogue happening around the people who are doing the education are the people who are the ones that are affected by whatever they're educating you on. And it shouldn't be the job of the person who's dealing with whatever the bullshit is Mm -hmm. to also sit you down and say, Hey, what you did was not good. Let me tell you why, because they were probably just, it was like, I just don't, I, I, I can't imagine it in any other situation. Like you, if you mugged me, what am I going to do? Chase you down and tell you, Hey, what you did was, they knew it was wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm a person that has the ability and the opportunity and the platform now and the institution's backing to be able to say, Hey, these are things that we can think about. These are things that maybe they're not even policy violations, but because the law doesn't necessarily catch up with everything. But there's something here that maybe your contribution is negative. Mm-hmm. Your contribution isn't meaningful in this way. What are you doing with your contribution? Being a little bit more intentional about what are you choosing to put out there? What are you choosing? What, in, what environment are you creating for the objective of what you're trying to get? Like you're trying to get a degree or you're trying to develop, or you're trying to learn, or you're trying to, I don't know, a lot of students come to school because they want to get laid. Is that going to get yeah. you laid? <laughs> like, I, mean that, I mean that in, the, in, in a little bit of jest, but I mean that legitimately. Like, a yeah. lot of people come to school because that's where other kids are. Yep. You're it's a sexual educator. Yeah, it's a, it's a place <laughs> to be away from your parents. <laughs> yeah. So in many ways, a very expensive place to go. But yeah, like I don't know why anyone would choose it, but it's fine. We did. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast, bringing you a full song from the new Katie Malco album called Failures. This song is called Animal. It is the first track on the album, and it is a wonderful way to start an album. Absolutely love this album for for fans of Phoebe Bridgers. Lucy Dacus, all that jazz, like all that jazz is not an artist, just saying artists like those two singer songwriters might enjoy um, this Katie Malco record, Um, a little bit of boy genius in there. Uh, Sure, I'm also circulating around Julian Baker, who was released through 6131 originally as well. Basically, fans of that realm will probably like this Katie Malco album as much as I do. I think it is a fantastic record, and I hope that you dig into it after hearing it here. Go to 6131records.com, get yourself a vinyl copy of the album, get yourself a digital copy, get yourself whatever you want. 6131 is a kick-ass label to support. 
They have a whole bunch of great stuff to get on their, um, their site as well. They put out also a great album from I'm Glad It's You this year, which is also a great record. So definitely check that one out too. But for now, I'm going to play the song Animal off of the album Failures by Katie Malko. Here we go.
That was Animal by Katie Malko. Make sure to check out her new album, Failures, on 6131 Records right now. Get yourself a copy of the record. Get yourself a digital download of the record. Stream it anywhere you stream music, too. Also, just realize that some of my voiceover might sound a little whooshy, because it is very windy outside right now, and I have an open window right next to me. Hooray! But you know what's not very whooshy? The rest of this conversation with Ryan Ribeiro. Let's get into it. Here we go! So I like to just end where we talk about things that you like in the world. Mm-hmm. Really let your hair down. Oh, yeah. Really like, I know every, this has been like a really high intense. I've been really pressing you the whole time. Now just, you know, chill out. <laughs> you mean, this is Holding really the hot. light to your face. This, is hot. Oh, this, this seat's so hot. <laughs> I'm really on the edge. Um, what's, uh, what's your favorite color, Ryan? Favorite color, blue. Nice. What about your yeah. favorite type of food? You know what's great about that is that I've recently been um, trying to find ways to replicate Portuguese cuisine here. Okay. Because upstate New York, there's not a Portuguese. For everyone, I'm Portuguese. I'm from New Bedford, Massachusetts. It's a, the largest Portuguese population outside of Portugal and Brazil in the world. And there's not a whole lot of spices out in upstate New York <laughs> um, that are unique to, to where I'm from. Um, so my favorite food is something that I'm actually making again this weekend called uh, frango asad, which is uh, a broiled or grilled chicken, like a full chicken, um, that's like braised or marinated with this sauce that's made out of garlic lemon juice and a hot sauce called pdp and then you serve it with like chips or rice mm-hmm. it's awesome it's super savory i have a friend who made a vegan version one so i'll make it for you one day oh um, i eat uh, me I oh you eat me i didn't know katie if you were, doesn't katie, katie doesn't Disney. um but you still eat vegan sometimes you eat yeah. vegan stuff yeah oh yeah i mean i'll eat yeah. really anything you put in front of me right now yeah but uh very much eating the meat these days. You eating the meat? If you know what I mean. You eating that meat, bro? Hey-o! Hey! Um, so, yeah, frango asada. If you look it up, it's great. Um, and I would honestly recommend if you look up how to make the sauce. It's super easy to make, and you can mm. use it for everything. Nice. Um, and that's the sauce is also vegan, so you can use oh. it for anything. Um, you don't necessarily need to put on chicken. It's great with potatoes. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite place you've ever visited? Or traveled to? You can say fest. It's okay. Well, I think, I was going to say fest. Um, I was going to say fest, but I think fest is more of like, it could be anywhere and I would like it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't necessarily, it like just, it happens to be in Gainesville because No Idea Records was founded there. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, I they're not related, but they're, yeah, the scene is alive and well in Gainesville. I would say Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh so much. Um, it's a town I relate to when I learned, when I started learning about labor history mm-hmm. and the working class struggle. Um, the, it's a steel town and they have uh, the steel union is still headquartered there. And there's um, a lot of really interesting stuff that comes from there. Folk mm-hmm. punk has a big, yeah. um, uh, uh, Derek Zanetti. Yeah, 
Um, I've mean, had him on like, the podcast twice. That's right. <laughs> that's where he's from. <laughs> I I actually reached out to him on Instagram, and I was in Pittsburgh for one day, and I hadn't been since 2011, and so much had changed. 2012, and so much had changed, and I was like, "Where can I go for such and such?" And he was nice enough to respond, and it was great. Um, he's like one of the most genuine people. I love his live. And I I haven't seen him do one recently. He hasn't. He hasn't done one in a minute. But he was doing those live, um, like, tape displays, which I really loved because I was mm. trying to get back into cassette um, collecting. But um, I don't have any cassette holders right now, so mm. I, can't, I don't have anywhere to put them. Um, but I just – it's a beautiful area. It's full of everything. There's mountains. There's uh, rolling hills. There's, um, uh, like, really nice um, – like forests and national parks in the area. Um, and then there's also like, you're just in the middle of these rivers and it's mm. beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, all the bridges are like this bright yellow that makes it really interesting whenever you see pictures of it. And um, I lived right in downtown when I was there. Mm. So I was, every picture you see of Pittsburgh, my the building I lived in is almost always prominently featured, which is mm. always really exciting. Um, I love Pittsburgh and my, one of my best friends still lives there with his family and I go out there every once in a while and it's always, I always go either to scratch an itch, but also to see what else is new that's popping up because there's Mm -hmm. always new stuff happening there. Um, I went to a place, I went to one of my first post college concerts I ever went to was a place that was a converted church called Mm -hmm. altar bar. And I saw a hardcore um, death metal band that I didn't, I thought <laughs> was an emo band. Um, I can't remember the name. I got to think of the name again. But, um, and I was like, oh, I am out of my element. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone there was like um, done up in like twizzed gear and stuff. And I was just like in my oh, vans. I was in my like vans and like cargo shorts and a plaid shirt. I'm like, hey guys. <laughs> I belong yeah. here. <laughs> That's right. Hell yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would, Pittsburgh. I it's my favorite city in the country, and I would recommend it for anybody. Cool. Uh, what's your favorite book or books that you like? Your book. Um, my favorite writer is David Sedaris, but mm. um, my currently I have like this interesting relationship with Shea Serrano. Mm. Um, who is a writer from Texas. I think he lives in Houston. Um, and he's a big he's pop brilliant. culture. He's hilarious. Um, yeah. He's a big pop culture guy, talks about movies. And um, a book that he wrote, uh, the rap yearbook, is um, maybe one of the most <laughs> interesting and eye-opening deep dives into rap history that I've ever read. Um, and not just like the rap history everyone knows, like 94. Um, like Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac, it's like, oh, you want to learn more about Atlanta Southern hip-hop? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Outkast. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about UGK. Um, we're going to talk about whatever. And, uh, I would, yeah, the rap yearbook is – I still pick it up all the time and read it regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also beautifully illustrated by this guy named Arturo Torres, um, who uh, is just a really, really – interesting illustrator a lot of vibrant colors thin lines it's kind of the opposite of what you see in pop art right now where you see a lot of like thick cartoon lines like 
Steven Universe type stuff, which mm. is great. I, it's beautiful, but it's really, really interesting. Um, and his, all of his uh, art is like illustrations of people out of their element. Like there'll be, I think there was one <laughs> that was like Larry Bird as a Terminator or something. Like just really weird stuff. Um, and it's really, really great. Cool. Hell yeah. Um, what's your favorite show of all time? Or even something you're watching right now that you think people should listen, watch? I just finished watching Close Enough. Hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, it, you know, regular, you know, regular show. Oh yeah. That's the one on HBO Max, right? Yeah. 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 Um, How is it? So it's, <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. I love it. Uh, it's just, it's regular show if it was made for 30 year olds. Mm, good. Um, and it's, it's plays, it, it placates exactly to my senses. Um, so I, I just finished watching that. I would say I'm a pleb. So West Wing is my favorite show. Like yeah. I love West Wing. I love West Wing. I will, I am a, I am a season four apologist. Um, I like season four. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I really like that show. It's, basically comfort food mm-hmm. i don't even know if i get anything out of it at this point um i feel like i feel the way about west wing that people our age also feel about the office yeah that i do not feel about the office i don't have that relationship with the office which is strange because i loved the office when it came out mm-hmm. and Dude, i just the west wing like my year of searching for my job but the mm-hmm. year I was unemployed is the year that I watched all the West Wing while I mm-hmm. just painted for people. Oh, my so God. I, yeah, so I was just, like, zoned in. So I have a lot what of a weird, <laughs> What a weird collaboration. <laughs> Those yeah. two things. One is this ideological purity. Mm-hmm. And this other thing is this, like, anxiety that's perpetual. Yep. Like those two things that are mixed mm-hmm. together must have been real bonkers. For Especially you. the two weeks where we were homeless and living in the basement, yeah. living in the spare room and basement of Katie's, one of Katie's assistant vice chancellors or whatever, because we had nowhere else to go for those two weeks. So I was like, this feels great. I'm was awesome. Who's your favorite character from the show? From from West Wing? Yeah. Um, definitely Josh Lyman. Cause I am him. Same, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Whenever but, I love, I see, but I love Toby. Love Toby. Whenever I see Bradley Whitford in another thing, mm-hmm. I'm always like, Donna! <laughs> <laughs> I'm always just yelling Donna. I love um, his burp takes where he like will talk and there's like <laughs> and uh he'll like take a like a burp. But Apparently my that was just the thing that he thought was funny. <laughs> One of my favorite unintentional things, like I know they played it for so serious, but it was hilarious, was when Toby and Josh had like their falling out. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocco is excited in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like Toby, no, Josh had started to work for um, Matt Santos mm-hmm. to to become president, and Toby was mad that Josh hadn't asked him to go with him. Yeah, and they got into a fight, but it's like the shittiest fight (laughs) it's like it's it really it's honestly kind of perfect in like a writing capacity because that's how two supposedly late 30 year old early 40 year old men would fight at work Mm -hmm. i feel like that would be what it is and then toby crying afterwards is just like a really heartbreaking scene but for some reason that was funny to me i don't know maybe it's because i watched it like nine times yeah I need to go through it again. I've only watched it once all the way through. 
but I've listened to the podcast, the West Wing Weekly. Yeah. So I feel like it's all very fresh. So I've gone mm-hmm. through all of that. So I basically have it all and like also, to hear great, stories. It's a great watch because of where you see some of the younger actors and where they are now. Mm-hmm. Like Elizabeth Moss is like the ingenue of our time. Yep. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah, she's huge um, now. Julia Hill getting his own. Julia Hill, yeah, getting, getting psych. those psych checks. Yeah. Keep getting those. Keep getting them checks. He's going to be fine. Yeah. Especially with the um, HBO Max now, people are going to be loving it. What's his What's the dude's name? What's his name? The one who plays Will. He's on Scandal. Is Scandal still on? Oh, oh, um. The guy who does the podcast. He does the podcast. Um, uh, Josh, why am I blinking? His name was Joshua. Josh Molina. There it is. See, this is why. This is connection here. I feel it. Yep. Um, <laughs> one last thing. I know that we're rambling. I'm rambling a little bit on this, but um, Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. is in a show mm-hmm. from 2013, I think, called Top of the Lake. Okay. I don't know where it is anymore. It used to be on Netflix. It used to be on the Sundance channel. I don't know where it is. It is incredible. Okay. And it has been slept on so hard. It's triggering for people. Don't like it's about a sex criminal ring. So like I just want to put that out there. Um, but it's an unbelievably filmed show. It's um, directed and created by Jane Campion. She uh, directed the piano. That's what she was known for. Mm. And uh, it also stars. Um, uh, oh my goodness! Why am I forgetting her name? She was also in The Piano, um, and she was in The Incredibles as the mom. I forgot her name. I don't know. But anyway, that show's incredible. Is that Holly Hunter? Uh, yes, Holly Hunter. She has a very distinctive voice. Um, broadcast News. She was also in Broadcast News. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Top of the Lake is just – I remember watching that and being like, who is this? And I hadn't seen West Wing yet, and I hadn't seen um, Mad Men at all. And this is before Handmaid's Tale. This is before everything else. So I was like, who is this? She's, I need she's to watch everything her whole in. life. <laughs> it's so good. Anyone who's listening, watch that show. <laughs> That's how I feel about... Um, why am I blinking all of a sudden? What's it, what's the, what's it about? Never mind. Let's not worry okay. about it. Let's right. not dwell anymore. But also um, close enough. Close enough on HBO Max. It's great. Yes, watch That's it. Jason Jason Definitely something that we're wanting to get into because uh, we saw it li- on the list there. We're watching Search Party right now. Mm, also which good. Is great. Um, yeah. We just finished the first season. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, That's right. So let's end with this last one where I like to talk about music. Just ask you yeah. some all time favorites and then stuff you're listening to now. Sure. Um, all time favorites. Man, that's a list of, that goes on and on. Um, I am, I'm a Jeff Rosenstock fan, hardcore. Uh, so if I would go, I, I would say I'd probably throw Vacation by Bomb the Music Industry in there. Um, mm. It's a great top to bottom record. It has, it plays to the beginnings of early 20s anxiety um, when you don't know what you're doing and everyone's telling you they need to figure it out, but they don't have any suggestions for you. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, then you kind of go into his solo career. And um, I, I personally, uh, I think Worry is his best record. Mm-hmm. But I personally love I Look Like Shit. Um, 
<laughs> it's his first record. Um, and it's completely like super uber duper DIY. Um, so I love that. Those are my two favorite Jeff Rosenstocky records, but, um, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, white crosses against me person. Mm-hmm. Um, against that, me. That's is the a controversial why. thing. One of my friends hates Look, it and I love white crosses. It's so good. It's so good. It's so poppy. It's a fun. I'm convinced that people sad. just hate it. Yeah, it is very sad. <laughs> um, I think after new wave was on like Sire, people were like, Oh, they're big. And I'm like, Sire was nothing, dude. It's not, it's not like it was Atlantic. What are you talking about? Yeah, no. Um, but uh, actually, White Crosses, um, well, uh, against me is the reason why I started going to Fest in the first place, because mm-hmm. they were doing a band reunion show for um, uh, uh, Reinventing Axl Rose, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go like, just so badly, so I went, and I had known nothing about it, and went down there, and I cried at their show. It was a, I just fell apart. Um, but yeah, so I would put White Crosses by Against Me on there. Um I personally um, love, 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 love. I know that we were talking about Pine Grove a little while ago, and I know that, like, Pine Grove is whatever, but I loved their self-titled. I loved it so much. Yeah. It was, I listened to it over and over and over again. Um, um, I would say, um, for like, I, I'm also a big rap fan. Um, and I also really, for me, it's more about educating myself on the history of rap. And, um, I would say Stankonia, I'm a pleb for that outcast. Um, although I love Aquemini. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I know that Connie is going through some stuff, but college mm-hmm. dropout still has such a hold on me. Yeah. Um, it's just a good one. record. I was a really important it, record. It's it, it it really has everything that was there at the time. Um, it had bangers. Um, completely brought sampling into a scene that was using it, but in a different way, like using the pitching up and chipmunking thing. But then also um, skits. I think people forget how many funny skits are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing to the education idea of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Although I'm, we're not the first one in any way. I would say that what I'm listening to right now. Um, I've been listening to a lot of, oh my God, what was uh, State Atlantic was what I, I've been listening oh, to State Atlantic. Yeah, we talked we, a little we, bit we, about that the other day. Yeah. They're so um, fun. They're so great. Um, I've been. Comes out soon. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have been listening to War on Women again. Um, as you should. I, as I should. Uh, the Menzingers. Listen to the Menzingers. Karakara. Bonfires, Run the Jewels is always in my rotation. Um, Big Pun, I've been listening to Big Pun from hmm. early two thousands. Yeah. And uh, oh, and Pup. Why am I? How can I not mention Pup? I've listened. Uh, I've been, Pup has never left my rotation since they're uh, self titled. It's always I've just been listening to Pup constantly and never gets old. Um, morbid stuff is incredible. Um, I can't pronounce the name of their new single. I know it's a common thing that happens when you get an allergy. Um, an allergy attack. I don't know what it is, but that's mm. the name of the single. But uh, Pup is incredible. Um, Hell yeah! I saw I saw Pup last year with Katie. Um, yeah, I remember. What was that theater? The Royale. Yes, the Royale was great. It's a big old venue that also does like burlesque and oh, shit. That's cool. Yeah, it's really sick. Bless well, hell Katie. yeah, Ryan. Oh yeah, Katie. <laughs> 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 the room. 
Hell yeah, Ryan. Thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight. Uh, yeah, I really dude. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um, Can't wait till we can be together in human form again. Honestly, honestly. I, I haven't been in Massachusetts since Christmas, which is wild to me. I'm usually average. Last time we saw month. you. That's right. We went and saw Sorry. Uncut Gems. Yes. Oh, which is now God, on, Netflix. on Netflix. It's unbelievable. I can't wait for the anxiety. Uh, my so Katie, Katie had me just explain the movie because they don't want to suffer through the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> like, how yeah, is. I forgot entirely that I did them in cells in the movie. Oh, yeah. I forgot completely about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this whole scene that happened. I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Yep. Um, Adam Sandler, man, he's really something else. He got snubbed, I think. Oh, 100%. 100%. He should have at least been in the conversation for the Oscar. I agree. I, I agree 100%. But. Well, man, have a good rest of your night. You too. Give Rocco some Have a good one. I will. He's been... He definitely thinks I'm doing something, which is true. I am doing something. I'm not paying attention to him. um, So hope everything's well. There you have it. We did it. Another one done. That was my conversation with Ryan Ribeiro. Hope you really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun talking and catching up with Ryan. Again, one of my favorite human beings that I've met through higher education, through pro wrestling, through punk, through anything. Ryan is great. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. Uh, as usual, we are part of the ConnectEDU network. Go to connectedu.network to learn more about the great podcasts and other educational opportunities and professionals doing great work in the educational realm. Lastly, make sure that you are supporting Katie Malko's new record, Failures. It is out on 6131 Records. Go to 6131records.com to get yourself a copy of it. Get yourself, uh, you know, a vinyl copy. Get yourself a digital copy. Get yourself... Whatever, whatever you, whatever you think you will listen to the most, even if it is streaming it, stream it somewhere, get them those, uh, sweet, sweet streaming pennies. Uh, but yeah, that's all I've got for this week. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another conversation with another punk educator. And until then, I hope you enjoy your, uh, pandemic life. I'm glad to be back in it. If you're listening to this and, uh, yeah, that's about all I got. I'll finish it out with more from the song Creatures off the new Katie Malko record. Here we go. But until next time, let's get to work.